Genesis 17. I'm going to read verses 9 through 14 in a moment. Uh, but first I want to give a little bit of the context here so we know what's going on. Um, if you remember from last time, God had given Abraham a promise, called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, promised him the land, promised him seed, uh, promised him as the revelation expands, promised to enter into a covenant with him and to his seed forever, um, and that in his seed all the families of the earth would be blessed. Uh, the problem is Abraham doesn't have a child. Now, if you look at God, the information that God has given to Abraham, God said Abraham would have this child, uh, but he didn't say that it would particularly be with Sarah, not at this point. Abraham could have assumed that, for it is God's design, uh, one man and one woman. Uh, that was the revelation from the very beginning, so why would God's promise come through Abraham taking another wife? Uh, but Abraham, like so many of us, when the days are dark, the future is dark. Sometimes we take matters into our own hands. And so even though Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. Uh, God, he knew that it wouldn't be Eliezer, his servant. We saw that in chapter 15. Uh, he knew that from his own flesh would come the seed, uh, the promised one uh, that was given to him because God made a promise. But years are going by. Now Sarah's body is getting old, and it's reasonable to assume that at this point Sarah could no longer bear children. And so Sarah has an idea, uh, and she gives Abraham this idea. It was a common practice in the Middle East. If a man, a wealthy man, has no heir, uh, he could take a slave of the wife and uh, raise up a seed through this slave uh, that would belong to him and not to the servant girl. It would belong to him, and it would be her, his seed, his and Sarah's seed. Uh, it is interesting, um, one of the things to note, uh, whenever we tend to rebuild the Tower of Babel, we've talked about that before as well, uh, the, the kingdom of God is going to be built by our own strength and by our own abilities. Uh, as I said last time, this always involves uh, the degradation and the crushing of the slaves of the weak uh, so that the rich can trample over their heads or however that case may be. And so we also see this dynamic taking place with Abraham who takes Hagar. There is no way to justify this. There's no way to look the other way and say this is, this is good. Uh, this is not good. This is a very bad thing. Hagar has no choice in the matter. This is as far away from uh, biblical sexual morality as could possibly be. Um, and yet, this is the dynamic whenever you see people starting to take matters into their own hands. When they start saying, like Cain, God isn't moving fast enough, God isn't doing this quick enough, God isn't doing it my way, I need to grab a hold of it and do it myself. Uh, this is where Abraham falls. Uh, this is where he falls and he brings trouble to his household. But notice, too, in this account, too, how much God cares for Hagar, even though legally and according to the practice at the time, Hagar was simply a servant girl, um, and uh, the child was meant to belong to Abraham and Sarah, yet God considered Hagar the mother, and Hagar, in Scripture, is the first person to actually give God a name. She calls God the one who sees me. Uh, Elohim, El-Ori, I believe, the one who sees me. Um, and she is 
astounded at God who notices her and sees her and cares for her. Uh, first time she had ever had that before in her life. So God is faithful even when everyone around her is not. That's another story and not really the point that I'm getting to. God is still silent in all of this and the years go by um, and Ishmael is growing up the child of the flesh. What I mean by that is that Abraham and Hagar got together, had a baby in the natural way according to the flesh, but more than that, they had a baby that had all of the same marks as Adam, uh, who was also a sinner, who was also totally corrupt, uh, and they brought in just yet another child of wrath into the world uh, because this is a child of the flesh. Paul is going to talk about this later, but we need to remember here that Abraham and Hagar had a baby, not because God gave them a promise, but because that's what happens when men and women come together and the woman is fertile and the man is fertile, babies are born. Um, and yes, on the one hand, it's a tremendous gift of God. On the other hand, it's simply the movements of the flesh. This is important for us to realize. So with that being said, now God appears to Abraham again in chapter 17 of Genesis. And Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael would live before you. In other words, when God repeats the promise to Abraham again, Abraham is confused and he's going, um, I thought we already had the baby. God says, no, it's not going to be Ishmael. You're going to have one. It's going to come from you and from Sarah. Um, and God now gives him a sign. And this is what we're going to look at. Genesis 17, verses 9 uh, through 14. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout all their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, excuse me, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant." Now pay attention to verse 14. He says, And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Cut off. It's not really a term that you would look for uh, in biblical theology to point to Christ. Because when you're talking about being cut off, you're talking about a lot of different things and none of them are good. Uh, on the one hand, you are talking about the foreskin, uh, the piece of skin at the tip of a man's penis that is cut off at circumcision when he's eight days old. It's that piece that represents everything that's unclean. The problem with Abraham procreating and having a child uh, is that he's brought into the world yet another descendant of Adam. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, Jesus said. The promise is another thing. The salvation of the world is not going to come through having children. It's going to come through God making a promise. 
As we saw last week, this promise of the Redeemer is not going to come about through Abraham's efforts, through the building of the Tower of Babel, through Christian nationalism, or any of that sort of thing. The salvation of the world is only going to come one way, because God makes a promise. And so he makes this promise to Abraham, and then in God's providence, just to seal this promise, he takes away all hope in the flesh. He's going to wait until Sarah's body is dead and Abraham's body is dead so that there is no possibility that they can mistake this for anything other than the miraculous act of God. But Abraham jumps the gun. And so God gives him a sign in his flesh to be carried out to every single descendant. There is nothing special about Abraham except for the promise of God. There's nothing special about Abraham's seed except for the promise of God. God chose them, Moses says in Deuteronomy, every, every nation of the world, not because they were greater or more numerous or richer or more handsome or more attractive. They were just like every other nation. Abraham was just like every other man, a sinner. And so God is making this promise and giving Abraham this sign if what is unclean in you is not cut off, you can never be my people. But I am going to cut off that which is unclean in you. And as a sign of that, I'm going to give you the mark of circumcision, which is going to have two meanings. One is, it isn't going to come through procreation, but because I made a promise. This also would remind Abraham of what happened in the Garden of Eden when God told Eve, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Not the seed of the man, the seed of the woman. It says, if God is saying, I'm going to bring about the salvation of the world, and mankind, men, are going to have nothing to do with it. And that's exactly what happened, of course, in the Virgin Mary, uh, the ultimate fulfillment of all of this, where she miraculously conceives in her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit and brings forth her firstborn son, the seed of the woman all signified by circumcision, this mark that Abraham and every Jewish male carried in their flesh. But here today I want to focus on the idea of that which is unclean must be cut off. God cannot dwell with wickedness. All that is wicked, all that's unclean, all that is ugly and impure and hateful and cruel and vicious, everything we inherited from Adam has to be cut off. Jesus emphasized this in the Sermon on the Mount when he was talking about fornication. He says, if your right arm offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, cut it off. Moses goes deeper in the book of Deuteronomy when he says, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. In other words, where are you going to stop cutting? If you're going to take out all the uncleanness, you're going to go right to your very heart. And how are you going to do that? And so Moses then says in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 30, verse 6, The Lord your God will circumcise the foreskin of your heart and the heart of your descendants. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. In other words, if God doesn't circumcise the foreskin of our hearts, if God does not cut off that which is unclean and replace it with a heart of flesh, <laughs> We won't stand before him. We won't live. God must give us a new heart. Now, there's another aspect of cut off I want to look at. And that's in the book of Leviticus. Uh, there's those what are called the holiness codes. 
chapter 17, 18, 19, all these laws that go through all the different abominations of the land. There's homosexuality, there's incest, there's uh, every sort of sexual sin, there's every sort of idolatry, there's the prostitutes at the temple, there's uh, the male prostitutes at the temple, there's the blasphemy, the Sabbath breakers, the idolaters, the, all of this uncleanness. And they're all to be taken outside the camp and executed stone with stones. Now, there are many in uh, modern times, uh, they're called theonomists, that believe and teach that the Old Testament codes were given as a guide for all nations and that the laws that God give, gave to Israel should be the law of every land. I've heard ministers say in their examinations that they believe, therefore, that homosexuals should be taken out and stoned. To me, at bottom, this is a denial of Christ, and I want to explain why. At the end of all of these holiness codes, Moses says this, For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. They're to be taken out the, out the camp and cut off. The same language that's used for circumcision. The promise that God made to Abram, I will cut off the foreskin You'll cut off the foreskin. I will circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And anyone who isn't circumcised, if they're not going to trust me to circumcise the foreskin of their heart, to remove uncleanness from them, then they will be cut off and treated as the foreskin. You see that? We are the foreskin of the world unless God makes us clean. So here we have a whole group of people that... The, the criminals, the blasphemers, the impure, the, uh, the whole list all the way down in the Old Covenant that are given to us to point to Christ. These people are the foreskin of Israel. They're taken outside the camp and they are cut off outside the camp so that the camp can continue to be pure before God. What Israel missed, though, was that if God did not have any grace whatsoever and simply started cutting off all sinners, not one of them would be left. This is the problem the Pharisees had. The Pharisees were very good with saying all these people need to be cut off, taken outside and executed. It was harder to do in Roman days, but that's what the Pharisees desired. They wanted these people cut off. They were sinners. And Jesus is saying, where are we going to start? Cut, stop cutting? If your right arm offends you, cut it off. And he's looking right at these men who are notorious for their molestation of the children and the, and the women and uh, all of this oppression that they heaped on Israel. Um, and right at the time when they were plotting the murder of Christ, uh, they're plotting the murder of Christ, they're lying about it, they're plotting false witnesses, they're hiring false witnesses and doing whatever they can to execute him. And they are also at the same time pretending this great zeal for the law in insisting the woman taken in adultery ought to be stoned. And Jesus says something shocking. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. If Jesus cuts off everyone because of their sin, there isn't anyone left. But it was a sign in the Old Testament that everything unclean must be cut off. It will not stand before God but it pointed forward to Christ. Even capital punishment in the book of Leviticus was a sign of Christ who is to come. 
The executions always took place outside the camp. Outside the camp was where men and women's waste was carried every day, where the, the carcasses and the fur and the bits of stuff that didn't burn in the altar were taken outside and buried. This was outside the camp uh, while they traveled in the wilderness. In Jerusalem, there was a valley called um, Gehenna, which became a symbol for hell. Gehenna was the garbage dump of Jerusalem. The fires ran there all the time. It was also the place where criminals were executed, where crosses were put. Uh, it was outside the camp, outside the city of Jerusalem. You removed it from Jerusalem, you removed it from the people. Those outside the camp are unclean. And who are outside the camp? The lepers. Those who were contagious with disease. The, uh, the sinners, those that were sexually or, or religiously impure. The Gentiles were kept outside the camp. When Rahab was delivered from the destruction of Jericho, she was kept outside the camp until she was grafted into Israel through the rituals of the proselyte. Now, with that in mind, let's move forward and talk about Jesus. There's an interesting thing been running through my head. I sometimes get little things running through my head. There was a show, a talk show, or a game show years and years and years ago. I don't even know if it's still on, called the $10,000 Pyramid. Maybe you remember it. Um, and there were two people. Uh, one would have the clues, and he was supposed to get the other guy to guess what those clues were. You know, things that are white, things that are in your refrigerator. And the other guys would say, uh, what is mayonnaise? Uh, and so forth. And if they got the answer right, uh, then they would get the, that box and they'd move on to the next box until they fill up all their boxes. So here I'm thinking, okay, here's the clues. Foreskin. Blasphemers. Sabbath breakers. Lepers. Jesus. And the answer is things that are cut off. Matthew 27, verse 32 through 34 the account of the crucifixion. As they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink. There they crucified him outside by the garbage dump of Jerusalem, outside the camp. And thus it was fulfilled what Isaiah, what Isaiah said of him in this famous passage, chapter 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Here, Jesus is portrayed as the foreskin of the world, the worst of the worst. He went through his life in that three and a half years of his ministry, touching the lepers. Anyone who touched a leper was unclean. 
their uncleanness they took upon themselves. But when Jesus touched the leper, Jesus became unclean ceremonially, while the leper became clean. He gave the leper his cleanness and took the leper's uncleanness. That didn't mean he physically became a leper. It means he bore their sins, their iniquities, their uncleanness, their transgressions, everything unclean about them. And he did that. He touched uh, the women taken in adultery. He touched the children. He touched his disciples. And he took all of that uncleanness and all of that sin and all of that shame upon himself. And then, when he gathered it all to himself, he bore it all outside the camp. And he was cut off outside the camp as an unclean thing. Abraham, the salvation of the world isn't going to come because you can have a baby. It's going to come because of God's promise. And who would have thought it would have done it this way? That's an astounding thought that it was all taken. And then when Jesus said it was finished, it was finished. It was all born away, all of our uncleanness. And then he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and misery forever. And now there is no more. So what's the application? There's one application directly about this that I want to leave with you. To the, the first one, hopefully you'll hang on to this. When you're feeling unclean, shamed, outcast, ugly, unwanted, alone, please remember this. Jesus has taken all of that on himself. He is reaching out with his Holy Spirit by the proclamation of the word, by what you're hearing tonight, and by his Holy Spirit, and he is touching you and taking all of that upon himself, and he has already put it to death on the cross. The second application is this. When we belong to him, we also bear that reproach. The book of Hebrews was written to the Jewish church. These are Hebrews that became Christians. And as soon as they became Christians, they were ridiculed, they were outcasts, they were run out of the synagogue, and that was tremendous suffering. They lost everything they knew. And some of them were starting to say, is it worth it? Is this actually worth it? Is it actually correct that Jesus is the Messiah promise? I didn't know there would be this much suffering. And the book of Hebrews was written to show that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything in the Old Covenant. And then he concludes in chapter 13, he says this, The bodies of those animals, the animals that were offered on the, on the altar, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So this we've already talked about. Jesus offered his blood to sanctify his people, and just like the animals of the Old Covenant, just like the foreskin, just like the criminals, just like the outcasts, he was taken outside the gate and crucified. But then he says, therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Think about that for a moment. To follow Christ means to suffer outside the gate. To follow Christ means you will, at some point in your life, if you haven't already, have to make a choice to be silent and to continue 
with your tribe, with your group being well spoken of, or to speak up for the gospel, to speak up for the outcast, to speak up for those who are suffering, knowing that if you are going to speak up, if you're going to speak the gospel clearly, you will be cast out. And instead of that being a mark of shame, it's a mark of honor for Jesus suffered outside the gate and he's promised that everyone else would too. These Jews, they suffered outside the gate. If they confessed Christ, they were put outside the synagogue and that was put outside everything. They lost their job, they lost their family, they lost their society, they lost their ability to go shopping. They lost everything. They were cast out. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, don't view that as a loss of everything. Here on this earth, we don't have a continuing city. All those cities that those people thought they would keep, even Jerusalem, the great city of the great king, was completely destroyed in AD 70 and hasn't been the same since. All of those ancient cities are all torn to ruins and every city we live in today is all going to crumble into ruins. This is not what we're seeking. We don't seek this nation, this city. We seek a heavenly city, which means that on this earth, we will suffer outside the gate because that's where salvation is. That's where our uncleanness has been taken. And if we are Christ's, we are united to him. As the hymn says, Jesus, keep me near the cross because here we don't have a continuing city. With that, we'll close. Let's close in prayer, and then if there's any questions, I will take them. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the blood of Christ which takes away our sins. We pray, Father, that you would be merciful to us and gracious to us and lift up our heads here as we suffer on this earth and the things that we go through on this earth. We pray that you would forgive, that you would give us courage and strength and peace in all we do and all we say. Provide for our needs in Jesus' name.